Hey, welcome back to Your Fitness Formula. I know there wasn't an episode last Friday, but uh, I took a break for a good reason. I mean, yes, it's always good to take a break sometimes, but I really wanted to um, have my previous episode and this episode right next to each other, a little bit of a minor OCD thing going on or something. But the reason I wanted to have them next to each other is because my previous guest, Nick Tober, is the husband of the guest of this episode, Sheila Tober. So I really wanted uh, their episodes to be together. So if you didn't listen to Nick's episode, uh, please go check that out right now. It was really valuable. He provided a lot of great information. And once you've done that, listen to Sheila's episode and you're going to get a lot more valuable information. Maybe even a little bit more valuable than Nick's. Sorry, Nick. Hey, what if I told you I have the secret get fit quick formula? Well, I'd be lying. See, there isn't a one size fits all magic potion and fitness isn't something obtained overnight. I learned that the hard way. Through many failed experiments, I've ended up on all sides of the scale, from overweight to underweight to now my ideal weight. I've been where you are. It took a while, but I finally discovered there is a simple formula. It's reliable and sustainable. It can be tailored to your individual genetics and goals. It's not a shortcut, but knowing about it is. This show is meant to guide you along your health journey. By listening to the stories of health and fitness professionals, you will learn the principles and habits that can lead you to long-term health. I'm Teddy Benz, and I want to help you craft your fitness formula. Sheila, hi, how are you? Hi, Teddy. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. Certainly. Glad to be here. Uh, so I know that you um, work as a healthcare professional, but before we get into that, could we talk a little bit about um, you yourself uh, and maybe the experiences that you've had in your own life health-wise and maybe lessons that you learned along the way and how they've contributed to um where you are today, both personally and professionally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a physician assistant uh, in primary care. I work in family medicine and I have for last 10 years. So that affords me a really um, unique and uh, valuable perspective um, on getting to witness how my patients uh, experience uh, the ups and downs of their health and how um, how difficult and challenging it can be to to get to to a healthy state especially if maybe uh, you're not there yet or you have some some challenges to overcome but going back a little bit to where my story starts this is starts a um, long time ago in uh, in a little town in upstate New York um, so you know, I grew up as a chubby kid. I was a chubby kid and adolescent, not necessarily overweight, but compared to my peers, I probably looked overweight. And I grew up in a household and I'll call it a social ecosystem in quotations, so to speak, where there was, you know, a really, really high value was placed on looking good and being thin. It, that was extremely important in my family to my parents. Probably, I would say, looking back, more important than actually feeling good and 
and having a healthy, you know, mind, healthy body. So from the time I was really young, there was this sense of shame about myself and how I looked. And my parents were very anti-sugar, anti-processed food. So sugar, sweets, processed foods were uh, very much a forbidden fruit growing up in my household. And for the most part, we ate from scratch. So my diet was not filled with, with junk food or processed food, yet I was still carrying extra weight, albeit not much. Um, and that was just my DNA. You know, it was also probably just being prepubescent because, I, as I said, it you know, started from the time I was uh, a young kid. But kind of a defining moment in my, in my memory is I was, remember being about eight years old and hearing my mom in the other room talking on the phone to my aunt. And they were talking about my cousin, who is the same age as me. We were both eight years old, two eight-year-old little girls. And my mother was complimenting my cousin and saying how skinny she was and how trim and svelte. And my little eight-year-old self just burst into tears. Because I knew I was not that skinny kid like my cousin, and that feeling of disapproval was, you know, just overwhelming um, to my to my little mind. And as I got older, as it is for you know so many um, so many people in America, at least those same messages about body image got stronger and more influential. And it really led me down some difficult paths in terms of self-image in the formative years of my life as a, as a young, uh, as a teenager and young adult. And it led to having a, a complicated relationship with food um, that, you know, I had to work through. And really, I'm always working on it to an extent. I think that'll be probably something that is a, a lifelong process. And something that I think most people identify with, that kind of struggle, because um, sadly, it's becoming fairly universal in our uh, culture. So it was at a pretty young age that I first started to think about you know, food, diet, nutrition, and how we eat um, and what we eat affects our health. So that's my, a little bit of my backstory, but, you know, one really positive thing that came out of that, you know, is those struggles is that I have a, a, what I think is a pretty good perspective, pretty solidly grounded perspective, and a lot of empathy for my patients who are struggling with their health, with uh, whether it's weight, weight related or it's something else because I know how heavy that can be on a person and hearing a positive message from someone who's walking in their shoes can make a big difference. So that's a big motivator for me in my day-to-day -day work in family medicine is knowing that I have the ability to effect change in someone's life. Yeah, that's great. Um, one thing in there you were talking about is, I guess, the messages that people might give uh, to other people about their body uh, shape that really um, might impact the way that person feels. Uh, you mentioned that your aunt had told your cousin that she looked so thin, and that probably made your cousin feel great. Whereas you, um, on the other hand, who um, was a bit overweight, felt self-conscious about that and 
even though that comment wasn't directed at you, you, you kind of like took that to be like, you're not thin. So there must be something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. But you said that um, your experiences going along um, have informed your perspective and given you um, an idea of how best to um, provide people with uplifting messages um, in your work. Can you give me some examples of that? Like maybe someone isn't where they want to be health-wise, but it's in your job, probably not the best idea to, I guess, bring someone down because of their body image. Absolutely. Um, There's probably (laughs) no worse thing that you could do than to lecture at somebody for, you know, being um, overweight, for having high cholesterol, uh, for, you know, their blood sugars maybe running a little high on their blood work. Um, What what you say uh, as a person's healthcare provider whether it's a, you know, a doctor or a PA or a nurse practitioner or what have you, um, it, you have tremendous um, influence over how that person walks away feeling about their, themselves, um, what their you know, sort of perspective going forward from there uh, can be, and just the, the power of your words. Um, so we have to be really careful about what we say and how we say it, which is you know, um, I would consider then, you know, my background to be a huge benefit uh, in terms of understanding just how bad it can feel to hear negative words. They carry a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And have you um, figured out how to navigate that fine line? Because it is important that if someone does have some kind of health problem, like if they're so overweight that it could impact their health or they have high blood pressure to inform the patient, but not to make them feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, thin line that you walk. <laughs> um, you know, one of the, the um, more than talking and the things that I say is, is mostly listening. That's much more important than what I actually have to say is understanding for them what's important to them. Um, do they want to lose weight? Is that, is that on their radar? Do they um, care about their blood pressure? Do they, do they understand what blood pressure is? Um, you know, so uh, getting onto the same level as uh, whoever it is that you're talking to, whether that's an adult or it's a child, because I, I treat children too, um, that's getting down and understanding what's important to them is much more important than what I have to say um, in terms of my own agenda and, you know, laying out the facts and here's what you should, you know, eat to promote, you know, uh, good blood pressures, or here's what you should avoid if you want to get your blood sugars, you know, down to a a more reasonable level. Um, so it's it's actually more just about listening and understanding where they're coming from. And that becomes the starting point. Something that I think that a lot of personal trainers um, don't take into account and should is kind of goes along with what you're saying is that you can you can you can show a person um, what they can accomplish and if they want to, how to accomplish that. But it's I don't think it's your place to tell them that that's what they need to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it's, it's not, a, it's not a morality thing. 
Um, and so coming from a place of non-judgment uh, and not, to, you know, leading by, you know, example, um, you know, but at the same time, um, somebody has to want that end goal for themselves, whatever that end goal is that you're, you know, promoting or trying to help lead them to. Um, and, you know, just letting them know it's wherever you're at right now is okay. Um, I'll show you how to get there if you want to. But I, I tell patients all the time, I, <laughs> I don't bite, I don't yell, and I don't preach. Those are the three things I don't do um, just because they're completely ineffective. And usually they, they cause, you know, a patient to walk away feeling negative, uh, which is not, not good if they're trying to move in a, in a better direction. Right. Uh, those negative emotions in line with um, those uh, negative messages that people might um, send people's way regarding their um, body image could actually drive people away and make them less likely to listen to the advice you have to give in certain areas. For sure. that You want them to feel positively towards you um, if they're going to feel positive about the message that you're giving to them. And, um, trying to trying to send home. Mm -hmm. In the case that a patient um, does feel unhappy with where they are, say they are overweight, and you wanted to give them advice on how to figure out what kind of nutritional plan or diet might work for them, what kind of uh, process might you go through to help them figure that out? So, you know, of course, first, I would want to understand um, what their what their goal is. Um, if it's a, it, you gave the example of being overweight. So what what's your weight goal? Um, what is a realistic weight for you? I'll dive in and say, you know, how much did you weigh in high school? How much did you weigh when you were 25? Uh, and just kind of get, you know, because some people, um, not everybody is going to fit a BMI chart, you know, a body mass index. Um, some people just naturally, I are, have a different, you know, a larger frame or a smaller frame. So, um, you can't rely exclusively on just height versus weight, uh, to tell somebody where they should be. Um, and then understanding, um, too, that, you know, they, the goal is for them to feel good and to, to be healthy and not necessarily just to be, you know, skinny or thin or to, to be thinner than they are today. Um, so, so kind of starting, um, setting, setting some realistic expectations as far as what they want to, um, accomplish. But then I think the, the, the next step in that process, um, you know, the huge part of my job then is helping patients actually sort out what their own eating plan or diet should look like. Um, this is interesting because it, it even among doctors and dietitians and the FDA, there's very little consensus about what actually constitutes a quote-unquote healthy diet. I'll let you in on a dirty little secret in medicine, <laughs> which is that we know very, very little about nutrition. <laughs> and uh, so your doctor. Um, uh, maybe not your doctor, Teddy, but uh, doctors, primary care doctors, et cetera, in general, um, 
we don't really take classes on nutrition uh, in school. It's, it's, there's um, not much that we learn about it. And we actually have very little evidence-based data as to what constitutes a healthy diet. So there's very little consensus about it. Um, and I think a huge part of that is because, you know, we're in, we're in this age of learning, you know, just explosions of learning about um, diet and about um, different ways of eating and approaches to eating, you know, um, you're, you're all types of buzzwords, you know, ketogenic and low carb and sugar-free and, um, and so on and so forth. But one, I, I think part of the, the, the reason that we don't have good data is because the truth of the matter is a diet that works really well for one person might be completely wrong for another person. And so the more we learn, the, the more I think we see that there's really no one size fits all which is challenging. That's, that's a hard thing to say to somebody, you know, okay, you know, um, Mrs. Uh, Smith, let's talk about what you're going to eat. Well, there's no real consensus on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, um, and, and patients can feel overwhelmed by it. Um, is, you know, how do you make that recommendation um, to, to uh, somebody when maybe uh, what's right for them is going to be, you know, a, a strict vegetarian diet um, and you know you're you're just going off what the FDA says, and, and that you know um, would be completely wrong for them. So um, that's you know I try to go into it with an open mind because the more and more that we're learning is that there there really is no um, there's no magic bullet, there's no magic formula. I'm not a dietitian, but you know of course I have a lot of clinical and personal experience with nutrition at this point. So there are a few tenets that, that I've learned, um, but there's really only a few that I can, can say really apply across the board. And that would be, so one would be sugar in excess amounts is harmful to your body. We know that it's well documented that um, sugar to the human body, uh, when there's too much of it present, it causes inflammation. And that inflammation leads to, to all sorts of issues with the blood vessels and um, the blood sugar and, and lots of other things. Um, second sort of rule of thumb or, or dietary tenant, I guess you could say, is that the, you've heard of the, um, you know, idea of calories in, calories out, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take in more calories than you need, you'll gain weight. If you spend more than you take in, you will lose weight. And that applies to everybody that applies to everyone in terms of weight gains and weight losses and then the third thing this is um the interesting one but i this i found to be true for just about every person every patient that i've ever treated drinking your calories um on a regular basis contributes to weight gain so that could be you know come from alcohol or pop or even you know milk or um energy drinks things of that nature drinking calories tends to bypass your hunger um, regulation. And ultimately, um, you, can, you can overdo it very, very easily. So those are kind of the, the three things that I know to be true for sure. And then from there, it's, um, it's really 
educating patients on, um, you know, and, and walking with them um, in terms of, okay, well, what types of foods do you like? What types of foods, what's worked for you in the past? Um, what has not worked for you in the past? And also giving them the perspective that finding out what works for somebody, what's going to work for them in terms of how, you know, feeling good uh, on in terms of what they're eating and losing weight, etc. It usually takes at least a few attempts. It takes a good amount of time um, to to hone that down. So it it takes um, usually takes some pretty pretty good commitment if they're serious about it. Uh, the one interesting thing that you um, mentioned in there was that you find that when people um, often drink a lot of their calories, um, they tend to gain weight. Um, can you talk a little bit? more about why you think that is? I know you mentioned that um, it kind of bypasses your um, hunger regulation, um, but is is like there more to it or do you think that it's just um, that it's just so easy to mindlessly consume a drink and then not even like have blunted your appetite at all and then just to eat after that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's um, just quite, you know, quite as simple as it, it bypasses hunger regulation. It, it does do that, particularly um, drinks that have um, high fructose corn syrup. That's a big one. Um, but, you know, I, I think some of it is mental, you know, you're, you're drinking fluids, but fluids are not food, you know, um, they're uh, liquid. So you don't get that feeling of chewing um, and that, you know, release of saliva that leads to um, to your brain making that connection. Oh, hey, this is, these are actually calories coming into the body. Um, and, you know, most of the time when you're drinking your calories, unless you're drinking a protein shake or something that has, is fortified, um, milk might be, you know, a a notable exception because it is a good source of protein but usually you're drinking something um it's usually filled with sugar or it's you know an alcoholic beverage which um usually doesn't have too many redeeming qualities um and it's um the makeup the dietary makeup of what's in it um is mostly um, just carbohydrates very easy for your body to digest break it down and um it can also rev up your appetite for more. Um, that's why, you know, we see people kind of um, binge drink on things that contain high fructose corn syrup because it, it gives your brain sort of a dopamine rush, you know, all, all the sugar, and then you want more and you sort of don't realize, um, hey, you know, eight ounces of Pepsi is, is 150 calories. That's the same as, you know, uh, uh, four ounces of chicken or steak. Um, so it's, it's very easy for small amounts of, um, you know, caloric beverages to become a major problem uh, if they're consumed too often. Mm -hmm. Besides uh, your diet and your exercise, maybe, are there other th um, factors that you have noticed that um, have a impact on a person's health, um, particularly their uh, weight um, as you've um, dealt with patients? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, weight specifically um, and 
maintaining maintaining a, a body weight that's that's healthy um it's it's multifaceted you know i think anybody who's ever tried to lose weight will will be able to tell you that um but is, you know, it's, it's more than just tracking your calories in and tracking your calories out. Um, that's part of it, but things like stress management and getting enough sleep are critical. And most patients that I meet are underrested and overworked, you know, between their jobs and their family and their children and money and home, you know, mo modern day living can be extremely stressful. And most of the patients I, I meet that are struggling with their weight, um, usually there's an element of just being stretched beyond their capacity. So um, yes, uh, stress management and sleep would, would come to top of mind um, uh, as far as other you know, things that you need to be mindful of if you're seeking to lose weight or um, if you're just seeking to feel better, maybe your energy levels are low or you know, you're having physical symptoms that you can't quite explain. And if you um, do believe that a patient's health struggles are primarily um, due to a lack of sleep or increased stress, do you have any um, particular recommendations that you like to give people to help them um, alleviate that? You know, um, it's so individual. Um, I don't have any any sort of blanket recommendations um, other than, you know, as far as sleep goes, um, helping, you know, people to understand that, you know, they might think that five or six hours is enough for them, but most people need seven to eight hours. It's a sort of um, a rule of thumb and and we can i think we become very habituated or creatures of habit we become uh, habituated to living on five or six hours of sleep if, if it's a patient who's just chronically underrested um and and not even realizing you know that you're um feeling poorly because you're simply just not getting enough shot eye um that's part of it and then the other thing when it comes to sort of helping somebody to understand like, hey, you know, you're just, you're doing way too much. You need to, if you want to feel better, you got to dial back um, the stressors in your life, which is, of course, that's easier said than done. Um, but helping them, you know, okay, well, so what does a typical day look like for you? What, you know, what time do you get up? What's your routine? Um, do, you know, talking about children, talking about their jobs, really identifying, is there any, maybe any problems with depression or mood? Um, if so, you know, though that's another conversation to have that definitely um, will impact um, their, their health goals or weight goals uh, specifically. Um, and uh, so if, if there's a comorbid depression present, you definitely want to be treating that or at least addressing it with the patient. Um, and you know, making sure that if there's any sort of confounding factors there um, that you can identify just by taking a good thorough history, um, you know, that you you try to do so. Because a lot of people don't even know they're stretched tooth and they think it's normal. Um, you know, you hear people sort of brag about a little bit um, being so, you know, I'm so stressed, I'm so busy. And I, I don't see being so stressed as a badge of honor. Um, to me, I, I see it as um, somebody is not prioritizing their own body and mind and not putting themselves first. They're 
for whatever reason, putting other people or other things uh, before themselves, which is, you know, we live in a, a stressful modern day living, as I said before, um, and uh, particularly moms, particularly women, um, I think, you know, they, they feel like they need to put themselves last in order to meet the demands of being a mom or, you know, um, being a wife or, um, you know, men too. It's, it's not exclusive to women, of course. But I think, you know, what we sort of um, often overlook when we're talking about, you know, health goals is to ask ourselves, why do we want to be healthy? Like, what is the point of putting in all the effort? You know, are we just taking it at face value that you should want to be healthy or is, is there really um, an actual reason for it? And, and there is a fundamental and practical reason for wanting to be, you know, at your best health, which is because for every human being, your health is your number one asset, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have good health for whatever reason, life becomes much more challenging, much more complicated, and some things become impossible. And it was actually a life insurance agent who put it to me like this one time. She asked me, Sheila, what is your most valuable asset? Is it your money? Is it your your home? Is it your job? And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what the answer to this question. My stock market portfolio? I don't know. Uh, and she said to me, your number one asset is your ability to be alive. Right. Because if you're not alive, your life isn't worth anything. And that perspective really blew my mind that day. And I bought a lot of life insurance that day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's such a simple concept. Um, be, but even though, you know, our health is our most valuable asset, um, we can't do anything without it. Most people don't prioritize it as such. You know, we sort of take it for granted. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I really encourage patients um, to start putting themselves first if that's a source of their, their issue is just that they are not um, paying enough attention to themselves and, and putting their, their health before everything else, which was where it really should be. And, um, and trying to make that, you know, not a selfish mindset, um, you know, from their perspective. Yeah, we've definitely found ourselves in a society that um, values um, productivity over pretty much everything else, which in a lot of cases has people leaving their um, health um, on the back burner, something they um, revisit every once in a while, maybe when they go visit the doctor and um, they get told that they are a bit overweight or that their blood pressure is high. And then they think about it for a little while. And then as life starts to take over and they need to be productive for work and productive to get their kids to school and help them with their homework and this and that and they just they end up getting consumed by that and dedicating all of their time to that and like you said it is um all very driven by a society that um values that and i think it is a kind of um backwards valuing because if a person is super duper productive for 50 years, but die after 50 years because they haven't been looking after their health, then that's no 
good if they could have been if they could have been a little bit less productive and had a more enjoyable, um, sustainable life for 80 years. Yeah, ex- exactly. I completely do less. God bless uh, is is a good, kind of a good way of saying that. Um, yeah, if if you don't if you're dead, you're you're not uh, achieving anything that day. Um, so yeah, preventing those uh, preventable illnesses like stroke and heart attack and diabetes. Um, yeah, that's it's paramount um, to living a productive life and not the other way around. You know, um, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. We we do we do have it backwards a lot of the time. So it it's been great talking about um, all of this stuff with you. I really appreciate you. Uh, speaking with me about it. Um, But before you go, is there any general advice or tips that you like to um, give people that you think are maybe not for everyone, but applicable uh, for most people? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So these are just a couple notes that I jotted down, things that I um, would like to uh, leave, you know, just a little sound bites to leave. with with patients and as I do uh, sometimes, um, so one thing is just about hydration. Um, hydration is important, but it gets overhyped, um, you know. And so uh, make sure you're taking in enough enough water. Generally speaking, um, that you can uh, calculate how much you need by dividing your weight in half. So if you're 100 pounds, uh, divide that by half, 50. And then you would need 50 ounces of water uh, typically per day. Um, and some people can get away with less than that, but that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. The second thing in, that I talk about with patients when I'm talking about weight loss is exercise and what you eat. Those are obviously affecting your calories going in and coming out. Um, but exercising for the sake of weight loss is actually a really sort of lousy way to lose weight. Um, and most of the time, it's 90 to 95% of what's going in your mouth and only about 5% of your activity level. So find exercise that you, you like to do because it makes you feel good, um, not necessarily because you're trying to, to lose weight. Um, and definitely find something you enjoy. Um, and then, you know, one more important sort of thing that I don't think is necessarily intuitive um, is you know, the, the concept of willpower, um, and that I think we think of willpower as something that you, you know, you either have it or you don't. Um, but what my experience has been is that willpower really exists in finite amounts for most people. And it's not this sort of inexhaustible muscle that some people can flex and some people can't. Um, we tend to make poor decisions, you know, decisions that are incompatible with our goals when we're tired or we're stressed or we're depressed or um, we're just doing too much. And so however much uh, willpower any of us have is is directly related to how well we're managing our stress and our sleep and our mood. Um, you know, deprive me of sleep and I, I guarantee you I will be irritable and I will want all the cookies. Uh, so that's, that's another you know important thing because i i think there people tend to think like oh well i just i'm weak you know i can't resist the the uh the cookie or um 
whatever that case is. But uh, that's that's really more related to the decisions that you're making day to day than it than it has anything to do with um, sort of your own self discipline. Mm. That's a big one. And then I guess tell you the last thing that is this is probably the one of the more important lessons that I've um, learned as a clinician. And this is part philosophical and part practical, but one of, one of the most important things that I've taken away um, from treating patients and from my own experiences is that it's critical, really critical, to separate food and weight from any value or moral judgments. We love, we love, love, love to conflate morality and food in Western culture. Um, you don't have to look very far to see that. You know, we, we equate thinness with being morally good and holy and disciplined, and we equate being overweight with being lazy and sloppy. And in some circumstances, we equate being overweight with being uneducated. Um, and in that way, we just give food way too much power, way more power and meaning than it deserves which at best is unhelpful, and at worst, it could really damage a person's sense of self and, and their self-worth, especially you know, young people and with, uh, with how much social media we're all exposed to, we're already highly susceptible to influence, whether that be good or bad. So that's why I find it so important to make sure you're being um, gentle with patients and um, you're really listening to what's important to them rather than imposing your own agenda. So, you know, in short, you know, your diet doesn't say anything about your character. It, it doesn't. Um, and once I understood that for myself, that following a certain diet doesn't dictate who I am, it doesn't dictate my worth, that's when I was myself empowered to make choices that felt right for me. Um, I was able to finally make that room in my brain to consider well, how will eating that food actually make me feel? You know, will it make me feel, do I feel well when I eat the entire box of cookies? Um, or do I feel low energy? Um, do I feel sick afterwards? Will it affect my sleep? Um, and so putting aside the judgment makes more room in your head to make good decisions about what's actually right for you. You know, you don't deserve the cookie. It, it's a cookie. Um, you'll eat it or you won't eat it. You, mm -hmm. you may want it, you will probably enjoy it, but it's just a cookie, won't improve your value, it won't devalue you, it won't um, you know, make your stress go away or cure your sadness or heal your pain. And on the other side of that, not eating the cookie, abstaining from the cookie doesn't make you, you know, doesn't um, make you a better person, doesn't increase your value. So um, just, some, just some things that I've learned over the years. Um, and uh, and trying to let patients know that you know this is not about how good or bad of a of a person they are. It says nothing about them as a human being. Um, these are simply just choices um, that we all have to deal with um, because we're human and we have to put food in our bodies. We have to put good food, good fuel in the tank if we want to uh, to be able to ride. So so that's uh, kind of an insulation. Um, uh, what I try to impart um, as a positive message. Yeah, those are all really great points, especially that last one to not let your food choices or your weight define you one way or the other, good or bad, that it's just a part of being a human. So 
um, I wanted to thank you again. I really appreciate you joining me um, and take care. Thanks, Teddy. You too. Hey, I wanted to say thank you so much for listening. I've set a goal of helping as many people as I can live happier, healthier lives, even if it is just in the small way that this podcast can provide. If you have found this episode valuable, and if you haven't already, please consider subscribing as well as leaving a rating and review. It helps grow the show, which allows me to reach more people like you. Until next time, be well.